We've been talking uh, this last week a lot about that. And if you've been connected to what's going on in our world and you, you uh, are following the news, you know that there's been a lot going on with this incident in Ferguson. And then even in our city, too, there have been protests. And so I have to admit, I was a little bit behind on this and had to connect uh, this week with it and do some more reading and um, uh, kind of talking with friends, uh, my African-American friends. You know, I have friends who are police officers and just sort of listening and talking and thinking through. And um, the, the, the thing I want to say, a few things I want to say about this, I think it's important that we address it and not just sort of pretend that this isn't happening. But uh, I want to say, first of all, that this issue is much larger than the news cycle that this particular event is going to be. So the issue of race relations is going to be with us for some time, um, long past this news cycle. Uh, and, and we have to be in it for the long haul as, as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to be in it for the long haul. Why? Because we worship a God who is in it for the long haul. Um, because one day, all tribes and tongues and nations will be gathered together in heaven worshiping the Lord. And they'll be all together, and it'll be a beautiful thing for everybody. So, so God's in this for the long haul, and so we need to be in it for the long haul in reflecting who he is. Um, and I think that the church is underachieving uh, in this area a bit. Uh, I was talking to an African-American friend who had a great insight on this. You know, he said that legislation and these kinds of things can only take you so far. But at a certain point, it becomes an issue of the heart, uh, how we relate to one another. And that's where the church has specialty, right? We can get to the issues of the heart. And so the church could do more, I think. The church has the potential, um, and I don't just mean this church, but the church more broadly speaking, to address the issues of the heart. Um, because once we get down to sort of the bottom level of it, in Christ we have a new identity, and that new identity supersedes all the other identities that we've gathered together and we've had, whether it be our race or anything else. We now are uh, identified in Christ, and we become brothers and sisters, and that creates a contact point which is very powerful and can take all the rest of the things that would divide and separate us and eradicate them and make it so that we can be united. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power that's sitting in the church, resident in the church. And so for us to launch out with that power to be healing agents in the world is our call. It's our duty. It's what we're supposed to do. And so um, we, need to, we need to embrace that call more and more. And so I want to encourage us in this time to embrace it in a very simple way. This is something that you can do easily, and that is to to simply engage in conversation with the people around you who are of a different race and, 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 and people that you may not have, much, have had much interaction with previously. Begin the process of engaging, and, and the kind of conversation that Jesus taught us to have, which is to be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Be quick to listen, to listen to other people's experiences, and then be slow to speak, and to be a, the kind of listener who is empathetic and trying to understand what it's like to be in somebody else's circumstance, and to be the kind of listener who's gracious with, with the other person, and to be the kind of listener who's even willing to sacrifice. You know those moments when you feel like you've got a point to make and you really want to make it, and maybe even it's logically correct, but it doesn't fit the context for that moment, and so you swallow it sacrificially and just listen. That's the kind of uh, that's the kind of conversation that we need to be engaging in. And I just am idealistic enough that if we do that, then what's going to happen is you're going to have people who are coming from different places um, meeting one another, 
uh, in Christ and having conversations that are real substantial. And in that, God is going to show us the way forward because of the unity that we have in Christ. And, and that's, that's the great power of the church. And so our prayer and our hope is that God would release that and, and bring that to bear on some of these really challenging issues that we're facing. And so my encouragement is to us is to just reach across to somebody different and, and start the conversation and do that in, in, in a godly way and then see where that takes you. I've had that experience this week in a number of conversations. And, you know, I get off the phone and I'm just thinking, wow, that was, that was huge. You know, we just, we, there was a whole other level of understanding and so it's great. And we as a church need to be ready to, to reach out in directions where we can um, with brother and sister churches uh, and, and to be connected. And that's what we're working on and, and talking about. So we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the fall. We had two sermons on this subject. So I refer you to those if you want to listen to those and dive a little bit more deeply into it. But I felt like we needed to say something this morning. We need to pray. So let's pray together. Would you join me? Let's pray. God, uh, we come to you this morning and we pray uh, for the family of, of Michael Brown. We, we ask for um, healing for them. We pray for your peace, for your presence in their lives. We pray for um, uh, the peace that tra- transcends understanding. Sometimes in the midst of difficulty, and, and many of us can't even relate to what they're going through, but in the midst of that kind of difficulty, Um, you're capable of bringing a peace that doesn't make sense but is nevertheless there. And so we pray that you would bring that peace uh, on their family. We pray for Darren Wilson and we pray for his family and we lift him up to you, not knowing his circumstances, not knowing personally very much about him, but we lift him up to you and we pray for him as well. We pray for the city of Ferguson and the continued tension that resides there. We ask that, again, you would bring peace um, you would bring conversation and dialogue and understanding and new ideas for how to move forward um, because we know you can. We pray for all the cities where there have been protests and, and tensions. We ask, Lord, uh, that you would have your hand. And we pray especially for the churches in those cities to rise up and be the healing bomb that they have the potential to be. We pray for race relations in our country. We pray that um, the work that is still to be done uh, would be done quickly and that you would you would, uh, again, use the church to lead the way in that. We pray for uh, peace officers in our country. We know um, it's a challenging work that they do. It's, it's difficult, oftentimes thankless, scary, it requires courage, and we lift them up to you, and we pray uh, that your hand be upon them. We pray for and against violence in our cities. Um, we pray that wherever there's injustice, you would be bringing to bear the promises of the prophets to root out injustice. And again, we make ourselves available to be your hands and feet in that. Wherever we have opportunity, wherever you give us influence, wherever you give us the the possibility of being your hands and feet, we open ourselves uh, to be the answer to the prayers we pray as you empower us and work through us and enable us. And we lift all this up in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So in past Christmases, we've had series that have addressed giving and how you celebrate Christmas. Sometimes we've talked about, uh, we did this one Advent conspiracy one time where we talked about uh, giving to people that would not otherwise normally receive gifts or giving to the poor. We talked about using the resources that we spend in Christmas in that way. We've talked about different creative ways. We thought after a few years of not doing that, we would circle back and, 
and spend this season reflecting on giving a little bit. And so that's what we're going to do over these next few weeks. And we've come up with the title for this, Give Like Jesus. So rather than trying to keep up with the Joneses and, and give the kind of gifts that the people around us are giving, we're going we're to focus our attention on keeping up with Jesus and giving in the way that Jesus gave, in the way that we celebrate and memorialize at Christmas time when we thank God for the gift of Jesus. We want to think about what did Jesus give and how did he give, and then how can we reflect his giving in our own lives? That's what we would like to do. And so a couple of things about this. First of all, you think, well, how did Jesus give? And we'll talk more about this, but how did, how did Jesus give? Well, he gave of himself. You know, Jesus didn't swipe the cosmic credit card, you know, and just give the gift in that way, sort of an, uh, an extension. Um, he gave of himself. He had to give from deep within. That's what it meant for Jesus to give the gift that he had for us. And so we want to think about how we give. And is there, are there ways to give that are, that are more profound and, and, and deeper than some of the things we think of in terms of giving gifts to people. And then, secondly, though, who, to whom did Jesus give himself is, a, is another important question. And when you study the scriptures, you see that, that Jesus gave himself to a number of groups, but they were overlapping, and sometimes they were the same group, but he had different relationship with them. He, first of all, gave himself to, to the beloved, to his precious people, the, the people that were his. He gave himself for his people. And yet at the same time, he gave himself for his enemies because those people were his enemies too. The Bible talks about us as being enemies of God. And so Jesus gave himself for his enemies. So he gave himself to his beloved, but he gave himself to his enemies as well. And then the Bible also talks about Jesus giving in relation to the outcast. Jesus looked out and saw the one on the fringe, the one who wasn't brought in, and he gave himself for the outcast, for the one who's on the fringe. And so we want to think about what does it mean to give to the outcast, to the one who's on the fringe, who's on the outside. And and this Christmas, we are going to invite you to think in terms of giving a gift to each of those three groups. So today we're going to talk about giving to someone beloved and and what kind of a gift you'd want to give and what the significance of that gift could be. But then next week, we're going to talk about giving to, to somebody you don't love. So somebody you love, somebody you don't love. So that idea of the enemy. And then and then the third week, we'll talk about giving to the outcast, somebody who is not loved. So somebody you love, somebody you don't love, and somebody um, who is not loved. And, and the interesting thing about this is, you know, you have to be a little careful when you give these gifts because, um, you know, for example, if you don't want to go to your coworker and say, you know, my church is doing this thing and, and they're encouraging us to give to our enemies. And so here's a shirt for you. Uh, I thought I would give you this shirt, right? You need to be subtle. So we're going to have to talk about how to do some of that. But, uh, but this is what we want to in- invite you to do, is to, in- to sit in the seat of Jesus and give gifts the way Jesus gave. So I want to sort of break our categories a little bit, and I was told a great story. i kind of put some flesh on this before we get into the scripture for today. And so I'm going to invite Sarah and Aaron uh, to come forward and share with us a Christmas gift Aaron told me that he received last Christmas from Sarah. And this will put some flesh uh, just as we start off creatively on what we're talking about. Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Aaron. And yeah, we're going to just, I was just, I was telling him about this gift and he's like, that's great. So um, this gift that she gave me last year was particularly memorable, partially because of the timing and also just because of all the thought that went into it. And so um, a couple weeks before Christmas last year, 
Sarah came to me, and she didn't have any sort of box or anything, and she said that she wanted to tell me what my gift was for the year. And she said to me that for this year, my gift would be a worry-free wife. So um, for this gift to make a sense, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a planner and an organizer, um, and sometimes that results in me trying to plan and organize and control everything, um, which is can become unhealthy and is actually impossible. Um, and the second thing is that I'm a major people pleaser. Um, so it's, these can be positive things, but um, especially during the holidays, it can become very uh, negative attributes that I have. Um, I want everybody to be happy, and when they're not, I try to control it and fix it, and when it, that doesn't happen, I get stressed and worried, and it's just a bad, vicious cycle. Oh, still going. So, <laughs> last year was um, especially uh, difficult because we were fairly newly married, and it was going to be the first year that we spent Christmas with Aaron's family instead of my family. Um, Many of you who are married know that navigating the family holiday dynamics um, can be rough at first. Um, and uh, my family is sort of a special case. Um, my mom is amazing. I love her so much. And uh, she throws incredible parties. Um, and her highlight is the Christmas Eve celebration with our family that typically has 40 to 50 people. And it's just a, a very big deal to her. Um, so big that when Aaron asked for permission to marry me, she said, yes, as long as you come to Christmas Eve for all of time. So. <laughs> I told her that I would get back to her. <laughs> um, so you might imagine that last Christmas I was uh, kind of stressed and anxious about disappointing my mom and family. Yeah, I can also throw in a few other things. There was, there actually was a lot going on last year, and that's kind of part of the timing. Um, Sarah's job was also going undergoing some changes that we didn't really know what was going to happen with it, and then our living situation was also really up in the air, and so in the midst of all of that, uh, Sarah gave me this gift that. I couldn't even have thought of. Um, and, you know, she couldn't have given me a better gift. Um, we process those sorts of pressures differently. And so it was, for me, two weeks of just enjoying each other and enjoying our friends and family times and just enjoying these, uh, just enjoying those th that time without answering the big questions of life and without making any big plans. And uh, we basically put a lot of unanswered questions on the shelf just to take care of later. And I know that during that time there was still some anxiety, and I know that she um, still had to process, you know, meth you know, somebody saying that they were disappointed in a certain way. Um, but it was so special because I would very often hear her in the other room or something and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to worry about this. And for me, that meant so much that she would challenge her in that way just as a gift for me. 
Um, it wasn't exactly an easy gift, and I did not give it perfectly. Um, but as so often happens, the giver is blessed by the gift itself. Um, so I was able to have less stress and less anxiety and just enjoy the you know real meaning of this uh, Christmas season anyway. Um, and so this gift ended up blessing me immensely in addition. So that's all. So uh, thank, you for <laughs> thank you for sharing that. And I was telling Sarah before that I can relate to her, the, you know, her uh, stress and control and all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking about whether I need to give that gift to my wife uh, over the next little while. So I'm not committing yet, but uh, <laughs> I may be. Um, good. I know you guys need to leave, so feel free doing that. Sarah's been sick, so go get some rest. Um, okay, so that puts a little bit of flesh on this idea, maybe breaks the categories that you're thinking about in terms of gift giving. Uh, and what we're hoping to do as well, and this will kind of have to be a God thing whether or not it happens, but uh, you know, everybody's got their little video camera in their pocket, and what would be really fun is if when you do come up with the gift that you want to give, or if your child gives a particular gift like this, if you just take a, time, take a moment to interview your friends or your spouse or your child and say, you know, what was the gift you want to give, who are you giving it to, and we're going to gather all those short little clip videos and put them together. And maybe at the end of the Christmas season, we'll show those together. So if you come up with some good uh, gifts to give, then you know, interview each other and, and take a video of it. And then we'll put those together. We'll be able to celebrate how God has led us in this, this whole process. Um, so we are inviting you to give three different kinds of special gifts. And the first one is to the beloved. And so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Would you open up to Deuteronomy chapter 7? Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting in verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll give one to you. I'm also going to be putting the scriptures up on the screen because I'm underlining a couple of important points here. There's a special word in this text that I want to call out. And it's a Hebrew word. And we don't do this very often where we try to you know, teach uh, from the pulpit, the Hebrew words, um, that would get very tiresome. But there's a few that are worth knowing. And, you know, one of them is hesed. You've probably heard lo- God's loving kindness. It's such an incredible theme in the Old Testament. And this is another one. It's segula. Let's say that together. Ready? Segula. Segula. S-E-G-U-L-L is how you spell it in, in American. And, uh, but it's a Hebrew word. And, uh, and, and, and this word uh, means treasured possession. It means treasured possession. Um, personal possessions were called segula. So even in the book of Ecclesiastes, where we've been studying, the uh, writer of the book of Ecclesiastes tells us about all his gold and silver, and he refers to it as his segula, his treasured possessions. This is what is most valuable and precious to him. But God unexpectedly uses this word to refer to his people. So this is where it gets really interesting. In Deuteronomy 7, God uses this word, normally used to refer to your treasured possessions, physical things. God uses it to refer to his people. So look with me in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed, remember that word, redeemed you 
from the house of slavery. So they were in Egypt in slavery, and God, because of His great love set upon them, brought them out of Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, it says. Now, this is amazing that God would take this word and apply it to His people to call them His segula, His treasured possession. And He does it over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy and then in the prophets in Malachi. And then we're going to see later on in the New Testament there's a parallel passage to it. And granted, these are people. They're not easy to love, just like us, right? They're sinful, broken people. And so God sets His sights on them And he loves them, even though it will cost him greatly. And as we go through the Old Testament, and we see how they continually disobey and turn away from God, and he pursues them, and he pursues them, and he sends the prophets, and he pursues them, and he pursues them. And then uh, there's this big gap, and then we wonder what's going on, and then God comes as Jesus into the world to pursue these people. And what we begin to realize is that, oh my This love that God has for these people is going to cost him dearly. It's going to cost him greatly. And so if you fast forward to Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, look there if you have your Bibles open. I'm also going to put it on the screen here because I've underlined a few parts of it. And it's an amazing similar passage to what we read in Deuteronomy. In fact, Paul must have been reading Deuteronomy, I think, when he was writing this. He's got, of course, you know, he probably had the Old Testament practically memorized. And so he's got all these concepts floating in his mind, and he starts to think about Jesus, and he starts to to write about that, and it comes out, and you see the parallels here. For the grace of God, starting in verse 11, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You wonder, does the Bible ever actually say that Jesus is God? Well, right there, it just said it in verse 13. So underline that in your Bible, so the next time somebody asks you if the Bible actually says, is Jesus God, you've got it underlined right there. That's just a freebie, though. Uh, Verse 14, who gave himself, there we go into this, this concept of giving, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from, and here we go to something deeper than the slavery in Egypt, to redeem us from all lawlessness. So there's a slavery of Egypt, but then there's a slavery to sin that is worse even and deeper and more profound. And Jesus is, is God in the world to redeem us in the same way that He redeemed them from Egypt, to redeem us now from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people For his own, what? Possession. It's the same word. Same word. So back, way back before Jesus even, they translated the Hebrew into Greek. And the Greek word that they used to translate treasured possession in the Old Testament is this same word that Paul puts here in his letter to Titus. It's the same word. Segula. Redeemed. Treasured possession. And it says who these people, these redeemed people, these treasured possession who are zealous for good works is the end of that verse. So here's the thing. God commits himself in love to these people. People just like us, difficult to love, sinful people just like us. God God commits himself to love these people. God gives himself to make them into who they were called to be. 
And by the way, these, these people, the people of Israel, were, were intended just to be a, a, the priests who would then take that message to the whole world. It was always intended for the whole world. It was never just for them. They were called out first, and then through them, the gospel was to come and then make it to the whole world. So everybody would have opportunity to, to, to become who God intended them to become through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what God is doing. He's committed himself to love, and you notice the depth of his love for these people, that it entailed him coming, giving of his son, and that son to willingly, adult son, to willingly give himself for the sake of others. Just like many parents will say, if they have a, a child who's run off in a, in a, who, who, who's run off in a direction away from God, and they'll say, I would give anything to bring my child back. Or maybe they're estranged from them relationally, and say, I'd give anything to bring my child back. Well, your heavenly father did. He gave His Son an expression of His love. And if you want to stand, if that's appealing to you, if the idea that the Heavenly Father, that God, God's love is so strong and so deep that He would pursue you to that extent, if that's appealing to you and you want to stand in the trajectory of that love, I was thinking about it as I walked out of my office this morning and the rain is just coming down and I'm in the trajectory of the pouring rain. If you want to be in the trajectory of God's love as it rains down upon the world, then you stand in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the expression of God's love for His Segula, His beloved. And maybe this morning you haven't come to that understanding of Christianity, maybe your faith is, is, is rocky, or maybe you are exploring, and, and we love it when people are with us who are exploring Christianity. Um, you, don't, you don't have to understand everything, believe everything. We want you to be here and go on this journey with us. And maybe you want to come under that love that we're talking about from the Father, and my response to you is then come under Jesus Christ by faith to place your trust in Him as the great God and Savior, as it says in this text, to say, yes, I see it now. He is, I believe He's the great God and Savior. And in doing so, you're standing in Christ, and now you're in the trajectory of that incredible love coming through Christ from the Father. Christ is the gift that God gave so we could be known as His chosen, adopted, beloved, redeemed children. It's a new identity, and that identity, that new identity supersedes all the other identities that we have, whether that be success, failure, maybe a racial identity, whatever it is, whatever we thought we defined ourselves by now becomes less relevant than this new definition which we have that we are segula, we are God's treasured possession. That defines us more than anything else. In this world. So here's the thing about gift giving then. We have this opportunity as followers of Jesus Christ to be the hands and feet that help one another to understand, comprehend, believe, accept this new identity that we've been given in Christ. You see? So often it's the case that we have to move. We're, we're, we're limited human beings. We have to move from what we know to what we don't know. 
we have a hard time grasping God and, and His love and His greatness and all of that. It's, it's up there. It's beyond us. It's bigger than our minds. And so we have to go from what we understand and what we know. So when somebody around us treasures us or loves us in the way that God does, it's like we're developing the vocabulary to understand what God has done over here. Some of us come from very broken homes, and we, we were not only not loved, sometimes abused, and, and so the vocabulary is not there for us to understand. And so we understand the words that God loves you, but we don't really connect with it in our hearts. But then somebody comes along, and they, they love us in the way that God does with that sort of self-sacrificial love, and we, we begin to understand that we are a treasured possession to this person. And then we, as we, we get that understanding, then we can, we can make the shift to understand God's love. We say, wow, that's amazing. That's really great that somebody would love me like that. And that pales in comparison. Now I get it. Now I understand. That's how much God loves me. That's who He is to me. I am His segala. Just like you showed me over here that, wow, I'm important to you. Now I can translate that on a cosmic level to understand God loves me. I'm important to God. He would be willing to give Himself you see, we go from the known to the unknown. And so our horizontal relationships are so important in this process. And, and, and giving is part of what we can do to show people that they are treasured by us. And so, you know, this Christmas, as we think about our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, we're not just trying to check off the to-do list. Let me get a gift. But maybe it's an opportunity for us to communicate something incredibly powerful to give people the vocabulary and the language to understand the language of God and His love for us. And that doesn't that reshape our thoughts about gift giving, what we think about and how we give and, and what's really going on when we give. It really reshapes our thoughts not only about that, but how we interact with one another and how we love one another and how we serve one another. If you have friends, close friends or roommates, you have an opportunity to help them understand God in the way that you give of yourself to them. In our marriages, one of the most important ministries that takes place in the context of a marriage is that we help the other person understand that they are a treasured possession. That ministry is incredibly important, incredibly powerful, because we have such a hard time accepting that. But in a marriage context, we learn the language, in a healthy marriage context, we learn the language of being treasured. And in so learning that language, we can understand the words of God when he says, I treasure you in Christ. When our children come to us and they see us and we respond to them, our communication to them matters because we're communicating, hopefully, to them that they're treasured. And if we can give them that vocabulary for understanding what it means to be treasured, then when they finally click in and they understand that God's saying, you know, I'm treasuring you in Christ, I'm coming after you, then they'll be able to, to, to make the translation and say, oh, I know what that's like. Oh, but infinitely more so with you. Yes, I love you, Jesus. Right? We want our children to come to that moment. We have to give them vo the vocabulary to be able to make that transition. And it's not just within our families, it's within the body of Christ. When you see the little children running around this room, right? We have an opportunity 
to, to kneel down to get at their level and, and be interested in who they are and that they exist. And, and, and wow, what are you doing? What did you make? What is that? And as we're doing that, we're just pouring a new language into them so that when the day comes for them to try to understand God's love, they've got the vocabulary to make sense of it. We have all kinds of opportunities to be the hands of feet in God, of God in this way. And there's a little bit of an application here just quickly to this whole Ferguson thing. And that is, is that the people who are hurting deeply over what's gone on in, in Ferguson and the people who are hurting deeply over the brokenness of race relations, well, within the body of Christ, those people are also segala. They're beloved of God. So we're beloved of God. They're beloved of God. And that's the point at which we connect. And this is why there's incredible power in the gospel to break down racial barriers and divides because we're both, we're all segula. We're all God's treasured possession. And we connect on that level. And as we do, then these other divisions, they recede into the background because they've been superseded by an identity that is much grander and greater and more wonderful than that. And so this Christmas, as we think about giving, we have this great opportunity to give in a way that reflects who Jesus is, to give of ourselves, to go beyond merely swiping the credit card. Jesus didn't swipe the cosmic credit card and sort of in a distant way give a gift to us. He gave deeply from himself. And that's what I loved about and why I wanted Aaron and Sarah to share their story because you could never... You could never buy that gift with a credit card, right? It came from somewhere deep within in Sarah that she wanted to give this gift. And it was special and meaningful and so powerful. And I wonder what kinds of gifts are out there if we use engage our creativity to think about what we could give to the people that are in our sphere, the beloved people in our sphere, to reinforce to them the love of Christ, the love of the Father through Christ, the love that comes from having been the treasured possession of God. And so I want to invite us this season to to give gifts that intentionally communicate that powerful truth, to find someone that we love and, and to communicate this new identity in Christ through the gift that we give. And I know the, the creativity that exists in this room. And so I'm excited to see what will come out of that um, as we accept the invitation. And, and maybe some ideas, maybe Aaron and Sarah Spark, you're thinking a little bit. Uh, one, some other ideas is, you know, what if we give gifts that, of things that are precious to us? And I sound like I'm, I'm against buying gifts for people. Um, but I know that there's a distance when I swipe my credit card and give a gift that I bought for somebody, especially if I haven't thought about it very carefully. There's a, dis- a distance to it. One time I gave a gift. Um, I was living in Hershey for a number of years, and I had a favorite baseball cap. And uh, some of you have never had a ba- favorite baseball cap. You're not going to relate to this uh, very well. But I had a favorite baseball cap. And uh, I-, I-, I was leaving, and-, and my best friend in Hershey, I just, on kind of a whim, I thought, I'm going to give him my favorite baseball cap. So I gave him my favorite baseball cap. And uh, that was not a very expensive gift, right? As far as gift giving goes, I've given much more expensive gifts. But rarely have I struggled as much afterwards 
as giving that baseball cap. And, I, and after a few years where I kept saying, man, I just have a baseball cap hole in my heart, you know, I wonder what was it about this baseball cap that was so important to me? And why was it so hard to give? And, 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 I, and I started, after I thought about it a little bit, I thought, oh, I know why I value it. It came at a special time in my life. It was symbolic of something God had done in my life that was very special. It had to do with my seminary and, and at that time and everything there. And so, you know, that baseball cap for me was an emblem of what God had done. And so giving that was, was a painful thing, you know. But I could have given a gift, you know, 20 times more expensive, and I probably never would have batted an eye, Right? So what kinds of gifts do we, can we give that come from those deep places that really are treasured and they communicate on the most profound level that you are my treasured possession? We can give the gift of time as well. Um, we often overlook this, and I think sometimes the people around us are craving the gift of time. And yet we want to just you know, get on Amazon and quickly buy something so that we can check off the list that we've given them a gift, and, and maybe what, what, what would be most meaningful is to just clear aside our schedule and say, here's me, whatever you want to do, let's go do, let's talk, let's, let's do life together. We can give gifts in secret, and, and maybe, you know, if we give a gift to our enemy, that needs to be a little bit how it works, you know. And if you receive a gift from somebody in the congregation, you don't say, oh, is this the enemy gift, or is this the, you know... <laughs> Um, but we can give gifts in secret. We can give things that people don't even know we're giving because, um, you know, it's done in such a way that it's subtle, but we know and God knows. And that's a great way for us to... We can give letters. Some of the most precious gifts I've received are letters in which people outline how it is that God has worked through me to bring blessing into their life. And, man, what a great thing to know that that, oh, God used me and my brokenness and sin and, and, and frailty. God used me to bless you. Oh, we have so many things. Do we need more things? Well, maybe a few, but not so much. And we can give uh, the gift of presence when it's unexpected. Again, the gift of time, but just the gift of being with somebody when they need us or when it's unexpected. Um, to cancel something that's important to us so that we can be with the person that we want to communicate this giving to. And so that's my encouragement, my challenge. We're going to talk next week about giving. We're going to talk about the enemy and, and, and Jesus giving to the enemy and how he loved his enemies. And then the week after that, we'll talk about how Jesus loved the outcasts and how he gave of himself to the outcast and think through how we might do that. And I hope and pray God will do something exciting in our congregation and, and give us lots of, of creative ways to do this and maybe some, some videos where we can or testimonies where we can celebrate what God is doing together in our pursuit of him, trying to give like Jesus. Now, we celebrate communion um, every week, and of course there's no need to be no segue to the communion table because um, obviously this table, which is symbolic of, of the body of Christ, which was given, and the blood of Christ, which is shed for us, um, becomes sort of emblematic of of what Christ gave. But the reason that it's important that we do it every week is because it's a reminder to us that in this call to be generous givers and sacrificers, we can only do it on the strength of God's filling. And every week, no, not every week, every day, we need to be filled 
with the strength of God to be able to give in the way that he's called us to give. We can't, get, we can't love in the way God called us to love in our own strength. It's got to be supernatural. And this table is a reminder that we live day by day on the nourishment that God has given in Christ. And so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This table is open to all who place their trust in Jesus Christ. If you have not come to that place uh, in your life and you're still considering whether that's the right decision, um, we're glad that you're here and I would encourage you just to say a prayer to say, God, you know, if you're out there and if this is, is real, then, then reveal yourself to me. Use this time for that kind of a prayer to, to ask God to reveal himself to you. If you are a follower of Christ, then I want to encourage you to take some time to repent of any sin uh, that you might need to repent of, to think about it, any broken relationships in your life that you might need to heal during this time. And if you'd like prayer, then to go back to that corner, back, back corner and we will have somebody there to pray with you. God, meet us at this table, we ask, and remind us of the powerful truth that we wait on you each and every day for the kind of love you've called us to show to the people around us. We ask that you would give us clear and tangible ways of expressing that love one to another, that we might become mirrors of the love of Christ in the world, in a broken, hurting world, which needs desperately the reflection of Christ, to be cast abroad. So meet us at this table. Meet us this week. Meet us as we gather again in home groups to pray and talk about these things. Meet us in our workplaces as we seek to live it out. Meet us wherever we are with the strength that you bring to love in the way you love. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.